So far, we've been talking and talking and talking about the theory of natural intelligence, the theoretical underpinnings of how natural intelligence is going to be able to address things in life and the world. And I can imagine that people are excited to get to the participation, to, to participate in something, to actually take what we've been talking about and apply it to the real world, their personal lives, to their communities, to everything that they see around them that they want to do something about. And we're excited to have an answer to that, to have something to be able to provide a container for the practicing of natural intelligence with the tools, with the practices, putting all of the principles, the science together into practice. And the way we're going to do this is by creating a community of practice. And that's what we're going to be talking about right now. So first of all, what is a community of practice? And I think actually the Wikipedia page has a really good description. And I'm going to read that right now. A community of practice is a group of people who share a concern or a passion for something they do and learn how to do it better as they interact regularly. The concept was first proposed by cognitive anthropologist Jean Love, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and educational theorist Etienne Wenger, also not sure about that pronunciation, in their 1991 book, Situated Learning. So I was surprised that this is rooted also in cognitive science. Yeah, I was surprised too. I became familiar with the concept way back in the 90s, working as optimization engineer, where we would work with communities of practice that were applying our algorithms to do supply chain planning and optimization. And in that scenario, we'd all sit down in a room with people who are using the tools and listen to all their scenarios. And they would suggest ideas for what would solve their problems, present their problems. And we were really partners as the builders is just understood as a very intimate partnership between the people providing tools and solutions and the people that need the tools and solutions. So this is where I was coming from and seeing the power of a community of practice as a technologist working in tandem with the community. And it's nice to hear that it's also recognized from what we'd expect from natural intelligence that a community on their own would also learn and evolve their practices independent of if there's a technology involved or not trying to learn and adapt to that community. Right. I can totally see that there's obvious benefits to any technology company or technologist working as the partnership with the community of practice, actually applying things, learning, sharing that with the technologist, mutually supportive relationship there. But there's some other things that are particularly valuable in our context with Inquire and in general with this mission to win the race against insanity, to create a world that makes sense. And I was thinking, Jill, you could speak to what some of those unique values of having a community practice are in this context. Well, there's kind of two main things I think that are super exciting. One is to have a committed long-term relationship to a community of practice where people can deepen a practice. And the other idea is that what we're arguing for is trying to alter a generator function that we're saying is necessary and may be sufficient to put humanity on a different track towards our future survival. This is how we can test that hypothesis. The, the way we test the hypothesis is for people to start to do it and for us to watch and learn of what happens as they do it. Because we argue 
that the technology fundamentally is part of that change in the equation. We talked about metacognitive skills, which people can learn through community practice, through the technology, but there's also the emergent behavior of what happens because this is a new technology that interacts with the human mind and helps to get over biological barriers. So, you know, in our master thesis, we argued, which we really recommend everybody listen to the full introductory series, fundamental series for background. We argued that in that series, that in order for humanity to change course, it needs to restore and protect their natural intelligence. And as part of that, through technology, we can enhance natural intelligence. And that enhancement is what we've implemented and inquire through mechanisms we explained in the theory series. But basically, that enhancement should result in radical acceleration on a personal level of people's ability to engage their natural intelligence to clean up ungrounded models. And we're going to go into a lot more about what that means with the participants in this community of practice. But right now, restoring natural intelligence and cleaning up those models looks like is what many people point out as things like the integration problem or self-actualization or self-sovereignty or sense-making, but good quality sense-making. And we're talking about how the technology can accelerate those processes such that people should be able to reach states of unified thinking or processing their backlog of broken models faster than they could ever do without a technology like this. There should be an acceleration through a deepening practice, through continued use of the tools, that acceleration would happen and those new states could be achieved. It's almost like what would happen if you had just invented a gym or just invented meditation that because we're an app, we've been trying for years to see if people would just naturally adopt it by virtue of the benefits they achieve a session at a time. Like, could you make it sticky so without anything else, people could just adopt it? And while that's not ruled out, we haven't hit it yet, and we realize that we're really putting ourselves at a huge disadvantage by not front-loading the understanding of what the possible end states could be and why a person should have a larger commitment. So if you look at like exercise, you might feel better after you go to the gym, but without educating people that if you do this well and do this right, it can protect you throughout your life against injury and you can age well and you'll be prepared to do more sports, feel good in your mood, all these other benefits that you wouldn't necessarily just notice one workout to the next. And same with meditation. If you just were to try to sit, it'd be quite a while before you'd start to understand the longer term outcomes you might expect with a prolonged practice. So the benefit of having community practice is to invite people to make a larger investment around gunning for those larger outcomes that we argue are achievable from first principles. So that's on an individual level. That's what a community practice can give an individual is that kind of evolution. And then that leads into on a collective level, what can it provide? Right. And so then on a collective level, what we expect people to emerge through a deepening practice is to work with us to start with doing collective natural intelligence, first a small scale, which we've demonstrated, and have us work in tandem to start to build the scale out. So as you'd imagine, this is a different way, like we talked about in our Wicked Problem series, this is a different way to approach problems based on the new world we're entering into. It's going to be more reactive than proactive. It's going to have to be more inventive. It's going to have to be more synergistic and dynamic and emergent and adaptive. And so it's going to take the kind of tools and skills that we've been building Inquire around. And so 
the tools may need to evolve or adapt with the scale of the community. We'll have to see if, if anything breaks down or what kind of new needs emerge or best practices even of how people might want to approach, say, collective natural intelligence for five people to build a barn would look different from collective natural intelligence for five people doing a startup would look different from collective intelligence of 150 people, small company trying to manage and adapt to a changing post-industrial world or an intentional community or even a small town and on and on and on. And then getting as ambitious too. what we've pointed out is like if these principles still hold and they should, how big of a human organism can we coordinate around? How can we fully replace our existing broken systems with a large enough coordinating human system that can transition as many humans as possible through the difficult crises we're currently facing and will be continuing to face in the decades to come. And so we need to start learning right now how that works and scale up our understanding and our tools with as we scale up the community and as people go deeper into richer and more powerful practices that can be more and more transformational. So how do we support people in larger and larger transformations that we know are possible with the technology? Right. And naturally, all of this is going to be essential to helping us learn together how we're going to transition the world into these natural intelligence ways of interacting, these natural intelligence systems. Right. So it's not just us as technologists. We aren't the only ones learning by improving the tools to support the community the community becomes the tacit knowledge holders. They become the experts by experience over how to deploy natural intelligence. They become embodiments of it and exemplars of it, leaders of it, and can propagate it and hold that so it can't be lost. You know, the more people that hold, re regenerate and hold that knowledge of how to operate with natural intelligence, the more robust it will be. So I think it'd be helpful for me to say a bit more about what deepening of practices could look like. And let me give a little background that Inquire has had a methodology of build test cycles from day one. So from day okay. one, okay. it was a cycle where as soon as something was built, we ran it past users and got their feedback and learned. And we've been doing this kind of iterative testing the entire way. When you always want a fresh batch of users, basically, to make sure that people could just show up and get value. So we're chasing the holy grail that without training, without any information, people could show up and immediately started getting value from the software. And we were able to demonstrate that with Amazon Mechanical Turk testers, with Reddit group recruitment testers, anywhere we could recruit testers, they would come in and reliably add value. And we would see the software working towards improving their signals of natural intelligence, insights, report, self-reporting, useful insights in their lives, self-reporting, increased clarity, self-reporting a sense that they are making sense of things in their lives. But of course, testing like that, we we weren't selecting for people that wanted to go very deep. We were often just wanting them to use it as much as they felt like. But we give people, as part of being testers, access to the software for some sometimes years just to see what they would do. And so a small subset of testers did keep going with the software and were able to confirm these deeper hypotheses that we knew were lurking in the research and should follow from first principles of having very transformative experiences. So we know from that, those test experiences, that's possible. And the way it was working, the mechanisms were aligned with what we would expect. So we've already confirmed that that's possible. We've just never recruited a group of users that 
are committed to achieving that with the software. So we're really excited about people that are wanting to achieve larger, deeper transformations, wanting to have bigger outcomes from the software. And I also want to say that part of our basis, our empirical basis of why we knew it should be possible was, and we mentioned this in the theory series, was drawing from the fact that the nature of the technology it sounds like what was described as historic technology that was in existence in the past before the Enlightenment back in the Renaissance, and that the reports of people using that technology are pretty phenomenal and make sense from a cognitive science perspective. So, McLean, I think one of the really exciting things that maybe, you know, we're talking so pie in the sky about all this stuff, and I mentioned that we're working with testers, but I think it'd be, I think it'd be really Great to fill in. What would it look like when people become parts of this community? Like, how quickly can they get going? What can they actually just do right now with the technology? We don't have to build anything more. We don't have to learn anything more. Just starting from how far we took it with all the testing, opening up the gates. What do we expect our first community members to be able to actually do? Right. Well, the exciting thing is there's many things that you can do right out the gate with how the technology works already right now. And we've also done a lot of work already on really refining the education material around how to use the technology and do the practices that we think that people should really be able to get going and empowered to be experimenting, trying things really quickly, even within hours for certain applications and as little as weeks for even pretty ambitious projects. Can you give an example like what would be on the two-hour range, maybe a progression of what would be like the most ambitious things, you know, like a three-week range? I think in talking about this, it's going to be useful to point at stuff you can do as an individual and stuff that is a collective process, things that you do with others. In the timeline of what you'd be able to do individually, within a couple hours, you'd be able to start right away applying the technology to your own life. And there's a long list of things you can apply it to things like working on making sense of your past, on navigating challenging circumstances, on making difficult decisions, on imagining into the future and what you want for the future. All these things that kind of fall into topics related to your personal life, to personal growth, that's all things that you can be doing really quickly with the technology, getting started on that, making the beginnings of that kind of personal work. With collective processes, we've made it super fast and easy for anyone to be able to facilitate a group process that's applying these natural intelligence practices in a collective way. And we have the technology ready to go that makes it super easy for anyone, just walks them step by step how to do a group practice around any topic of shared interest. And that's not just among with the other community practice, that's with anyone, right? Yeah. So that's another thing worth talking about is that what's nice about having a community of practice is that you can try a lot of things out with each other and everyone's learning the same things and trying things for the first time. But that doesn't stop you from being able to take these practices outside the context of the community and experiment and work with others with these group practices as well. Right. So someone could use these tools to, say, facilitate a group once they learn how to do it would you say within hours? Oh yeah, definitely. And and feel confident about it. And so what do you expect people would be developing over say week-long scales or what's next and what they would be able to do if they invest some more time into the tools? Yeah. 
So going back to the individual use cases, on the weak scale, that opens up the possibility and it allows for just doing larger personal projects. And this can lead into even doing things like designing your own self-guided retreats of varying lengths, allowing you the time and space to work through maybe much larger transitions in your life, working on harder, kind of hairier things in your life, taking on things that feel more ambitious to work on and try to find opportunities for improvement and change and growth on these things that maybe have not been yielding or that haven't been addressed before. Yeah, I think that's really a big value add. I know a lot of people, myself included, have an urge to go off and just think about things. Like that's just a feeling. Like I want to go off and think about things. It's almost like water. Like sometimes you just feel like you want to go off maybe even for months and just go sort out and think about things. And we have an idea of doing it. And then if anyone's actually tried to go do it, results will vary. And sometimes you may find that you just you're thinking, but you're not really getting anywhere or you get bored or it doesn't really just work out that way. But I think that as people come to realize as they work with the tools is what the tools do is they keep you moving productively through things. It's like you're just going, you're productive. Once you get a feel for that, you know what to expect and you can start to see how you could structure your time and really move through a whole day or series of days to at the end really know you will have used the time productively and gotten value out of it. Yeah. And then in the collective realm, on the week's time scale, that starts to allow for things where you might be able to meet with groups regularly to work out things that are more dynamic or need to explore multiple dimensions to get to the heart of the thing that's trying to be addressed within the context of the group. Right. So you start to develop a feel for how the group dynamics work and how you might be able to apply them, relationships with others, with projects you're working on. Right. And and then I think it's worth pointing out Another thing that opens up in the, the even longer time scales is when you start looking at both these kinds of regular practices with group or individual is that you'll start to have the opportunity to see other kinds of changes happen that just emerge from a lot of time invested into natural intelligence, what it feels like, how it changes, how you come to see things how you think about things, right. the strengthening of certain skills, the strengthening of certain metacognitive skills and senses. So there's this other layer of development that happens that longer and longer timescales allow for to lead toward what we could describe as more mastery over the practices and skills involved. Right. We also know and expect there to be natural transitions and meta insights we expect people to have around the nature of mind, the nature of models, the nature of insights, the nature of how to protect yourself from nonsense. Bigger and bigger insights because all the practices involve an intimate meta engagement with mind that you will come to know the nature of mind in ways that can only be known this way. And this is where you might see emergence of similar states that people arrive at through traditional committed meditation practice or other committed transformational practices. As part of the community practice, we will be very much filling in and doing that mapping and exploring the overlap between natural intelligence and what's happening with other types of transformational practices and both directions 
what kind of transformations would you expect mm-hmm. through this path towards what people might have heard people speak to or directly experienced through other practices and vice versa? Like how might you get the similar type of experience through a natural intelligence practice that you maybe are seeking through other kinds of practices? And there's a very specific set of practices that we've developed that everybody in the community can engage in as a proactive way to protect your natural intelligence. So we've talked about in this very abstract way, just from pure cognitive science, pure direct experience, how we'd expect the kind of meta things we would learn in the abstract about how our mind works and the kind of transitions we might experience and this more abstract idea of different types of transformational states in the abstract. But I think there's this whole other world that's really exciting that we've developed, which is looking at when you actually apply it, what are the different domains you apply it to and what kind of things do we imagine unlocking with practice in that way? And what kind of domains can we imagine people applying it to? So one thing we've worked on is doing an initial exploration to map out where we think natural intelligence practices and tools could be applied into other familiar areas. So for example, personal development, we've talked about that a little bit already, but in this context, things like working on behavior change, working on career planning, life planning, doing integration work following transformational experience, creative processes, relationships and communication. So talking about misunderstandings, maybe dating, business partner relationships, families, that sort of thing. Bringing this into applying natural intelligence in parenting, applying natural intelligence in community development, in learning and education, in coaching and counseling, in organizations is a big one. So these are some big categories and we've already started to flesh out what we could imagine using natural intelligence to do in these categories. And as part of supporting the community of practice, we are not only excited to support anyone who's interested in these application areas to dive into them and to experiment and try things, but for people to come up with new areas of applying natural intelligence, things we haven't thought of before. And we're really excited about that. Yeah. And these aren't just ideas, right? We actually worked out step-by-step workflows and walk people through the technology of how they can get started to apply it to all kinds of areas. So if right. you'll want to learn more, you can see a full list of the workflows we've developed already. These are all examples of things that people could jump into on the weak scale once they get the hang of things and they can start to work on any these natural intelligence application areas. So why don't we talk more about what's special about the practices that people are going to be learning about and applying while participating? What's different about them from what people might be familiar with, other practices people may be well-versed in? from other contexts. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal to suggest that people all of a sudden start adopting a whole new set of practices. If we look at what else is out there as practices, generally a way that it's approached is either you say this practice is the end-all be-all, and that's not really an honest thing to say um, because things change, world changes, and that's not really how people think anymore. They think that generally there's lots of stuff that works and usually works for all kinds of contextualized reasons and Maybe it works because, you know, a bunch of different things have shared components, somehow that works. So the way people have generally approached adopting practices is they might pick one up for a while or a menu or a palette or ecology of them and curate them. Maybe that's even like something kind of fun to do. Try this and try that. 
just see what works to see what they like, do it for as long as they like, and then um, drop it whenever it makes sense to them. And we're suggesting something a lot more committed, right? We're trying to recruit people to a commitment to our practices. And we would expect a lot of people would think that was not a reasonable thing to do. How can we do that after what I just said? And the reason we think this is a reasonable thing to do is that we are not set up like other practices are. We're more like a platform company that can hold practices. And so that's also a mighty claim to say that just about any subset of practices that are consistent with and can be used with this kind of technology can be held by it. So we're saying that there's a universality built into the Inquire platform. And for those that have listened to the theory series, we're saying the basis for that claim, which we will go into at more length, I'm sure, is because of the way Inquire is set up as an entity in the world. That's one. And two, because fundamentally the technology is not based on models, it's based on human natural language. And that means that since everything can be expressed in natural language that we can conceptualize, it appears, that's how the world around us runs, that means that a framework that is built on pure natural language should be able to accommodate all models. So in the same way that there's math and it can accommodate all mathematical expressions, we're saying that some sort of similar statement can be said about language. Now, backing that up is well beyond the scope Sorry. of this discussion, but we will be going into it in depth in, in the future, for sure, because it's such an important and, and fascinating area to explore. And so then the other component is that the platform itself, the entity, is different than other entities out there. So Inquire was founded in a very odd way. Basically, the way most entities exist that are doing this kind of work is there are either people associated with the academy that do research that is approved by other people who have are also doing research. It's peer-approved research, and the community moves forward based on where the community wants to go in research. And the academy moves where the community wants to move. It's like an amoeba that will drift wherever the interest and curiosity of the community drives it. And they stumble into things, they make discoveries, and then they bring those things to market. That's one way that practices come into existence. Uh, another way is through religions, where you have maybe an authority or community of practice that learns by doing some sort of practices together, or folk technologies, you know, folk slash religious technologies that we're very familiar with. And so people basically do what people have done in the past, and that's where practices come from. So both of those Entities have this quality where what is done has a history of what was done in the past. And as we talk about in the theory series, when you're dealing with psychological technologies, it's very hard to tell if what you're doing is actually helping. It's very difficult science to do. So there's a lot of problems with that approach. And people get stuck. And so things get entrenched and it's very hard to move off of them. Like you can just imagine people build their career in science over their research and their hypothesis. And that's why the saying is that science progresses one, you know, dead academic at a time or something like that through the death of the people that have the theories. You want to be respectful and you don't want to ruin someone's career by knowing that their work's not longer relevant. And so that's very slow and it's too slow for the world. And as we know, religions are also very slow, very conservative, and you can't radically change a religion with credibility. So 
the way Inquire was formed was very strategic and intentionally designed to try to work around these bottlenecks. When I was first forming Inquire, I knew I wanted to synthesize the best science into the platform. And I began consulting, continued to consult with research scientists, the ones that I thought had the research and understanding I needed to build the system. I had worked previously in that capacity as a platform builder in a way where I knew my job was to partner with domain experts and listen for how I could build technology to implement what they were teaching me. And I used the same approach with this project using actual scientists as my domain experts to try to understand, learn what they had to teach me, and then go off and build the technology based on what I learned. And it's a two-way street, right? So I would go to them and I'd say, well, I see as a technologist that I can build something that can do this. So if you tell me, if you give me these ingredients, I'll go build that. And I would talk to scientists and say, I just need these ingredients and I can go build that. And the story I got back from the scientists over and over is that we haven't quite stumbled on that yet, or we know about that theoretically, but no one's done that work. You need to do that work yourself, and it's going to be too slow to do it in the academy. They said the fastest way to do it is to do it as an independent entity and then partner with the academy and let us study it. So that was the way Inquire was formed. First was to exist intentionally as a technological partner to scientists to innovate around the technology needed for humanity and then tested and studied by scientists. And the other way Inquire was formulated was as a benefit corporation so that, one, the business entity could assign ownership to tacit knowledge holders, which you can't do with a nonprofit. So the founders and others, everybody who participates in, and knows has the knowledge of natural intelligence can be the ones that have the decision-making authority. That was one reason we went with that. And also so the intellectual property and the knowledge of the system would be tied to the people that have tacit knowledge around natural intelligence so it wouldn't be abused. And then the other part was so that we could protect that technology by keeping it under the umbrella if we needed to until we educated the world on the harms of misusing it if we had identified any and be able to incubate it within a safe structure. The argument I used was that if people had decided to split the atom in a benefit corporation, they could have said under the mission statement that that technology would only be used for harnessing energy and never used for war or violence. And they could have owned that intellectual property and carefully curated for 15 years the knowledge base around the world and put in protections in place so that it would have never been used. That would be the dream. They could have done everything in their power to protect it from being used as a weapon. And so the same idea was why Inquire was started as a benefit corporation was that, again, it could use the entire academy as its domain experts, not just one professor. Its identity would be tied only to the mission statement, which basically is to adapt the technology framework to whatever makes sense. And that's it, to creating a world that makes sense. So Inquire is not beholden to a history. Inquire can go direct to the entire world of domain experts, which is science and practitioners, and distill down and test and use clean methodologies to continue to adapt, learn, and address issues as they arise as we 
deploy the technology so we won't get stuck. We can rapidly adjust. We can be learning from everybody and not be hindered or encumbered by what's held back many other practices. So when people are signing up for this community of practice, they're signing up for a partnership with us to be excited by and wanting to contribute to our collective learning on how to achieve the goal state, which is collective natural intelligence on a global scale, and leveraging technology to enhance that potential. So signing up to bring a high level of commitment to a community of practice around a new practice, why we're saying that should be less scary. We're saying with Inquire is that we're different because we're meta to all that, and that it should be like a both and, that whatever works across those different technologies, we should be able to bring in, and whatever we can't bring in, we're compatible with. You don't have to give up any of your other practices to do Inquire. We, we complement and enhance, and then you can rely on your own cognitive senses and your own metacognitive skills to make those distinctions, to decide for yourself what you want to keep from any practices you curated. Inquire is designed to complement whatever's working and help you reveal what orchestration of practices work best for you the ones that are inside Inquire and any that might be outside Inquire. I think at this point, maybe you can give the listeners an update of how we imagine this unfolding. When do we think we can get this going and what's the landscape? You know, what's it going to look like for us to try to actually pull off first, like this, what's the size of community practice we'd like to have and, and how do we think we can get there? So first off, we, we do already know that we want to limit the size because we want to make sure we can give as much care, attention, support to everyone as possible for success. If you want to learn how all this works, you can go to our website and learn all about that. I think the context that people might benefit from right now is, you know, timelines on this. And at this moment, we're really focused on just gaining interest. We know that there's still a lot of work to do and time it takes to get people up to speed on what we're putting out in the world, right? So that's going to be our focus right now. And then once we have enough interest, enough to feel confident in actually launching the community, then we're going to make that announcement and start from there. As we said, we, we deployed Inquire in an unusual way, and we spent years, because it was such an innovative project, like I said, we had to innovate, we ha and we worked closely with scientists, and we really did a lot of testing and a lot of innovating with the platform and a lot of developing of the, the thesis and the ideas and trying to understand how to explain what we were seeing as we were experimenting and understand what the principles should be we built to. All this took years for us to, to be building and testing. And we're only now, we're educating the market and really being out in the world with it. So we'd love any help people want to give us and spread, help spreading the ideas, kind of front-loading the idea that people can start thinking about this, the implications of these arguments, and help us develop the interest to want to participate in a community of practice and test this hypothesis we're thinking is really important to see what happens if you bring people together on these new organizing principles and address this key vulnerability of the attention capture of the focused attention system. So we hope other people want to join us and we are really looking for and appreciate opportunities to talk about this hypothesis, talk about the ideas, and talk about the community of practice with groups on forums and with other thinkers, with other people who are just curious about the ideas of natural intelligence. And, and so, yeah, reach out if you want to chat with us, talk with us further on any of these topics.